Welcome to the Coaches Platform Podcast, where we discuss transformational coaching and its mission to positively change the arc of young people's lives. Tonight's guest is Coach Lee Weber from Rose Hill High School in Rose Hill, Kansas. Coach Weber is the head football coach, track and field, and certified strength and speed coach. In our extensive discussions with Coach Weber, he focused on establishing a message for his program, but throughout, he talked about developing relationships with all the stakeholders uh, within the program, within the school, and within the broader community. I think that uh, one of the things that impresses me most about Lee is his attention to detail. Um, his attention to detail while presenting this message and his intentionality of the message is, is really great. Like he, he strives to get a message that is unique to the season and he's willing to ta- his willingness to tailor that message throughout the season, I think is what makes him a success. Let's kick it off. Today, uh, we have Coach Lee Weber from Rose Hill High School in uh, Kansas. Uh, he's got over a 20-year career in high school athletics. He's been an athletic director, he's been a basketball coach, a track coach, a softball coach, and he's currently the head coach at Rose Hill High School and the strength and speed coach. Go Rockets. Welcome. Right. Rocket power. Yeah, strength and speed. That's uh, different. Usually, you're strength and conditioning, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not a conditioning person anymore. I'm a, I'm a speed person. So I have some really interesting theories about that I've taken and stolen from people that, you know, conditioning is not as much necessary as speed is. So we, we focus more on speed now. So when you say that, um, so is all your, your conditioning done like fast twitch stuff then? Like, all, uh, is it all kind of built in that way? Yeah, it's all, uh, you guys familiar with feed the cats? Mm-hmm. It's all feed the cats. Yeah, it's all that stuff. You know, uh, this is the thing I think sells it a lot for me because this is an example I can prove to work for us. You know, if, if you get a cramp on the football field, what causes, what do you do to, for that cramp? What causes that cramp? Dehydration? No? What? No, that's what everybody's answer is, right? Drink some Gatorade. You should have drank, ate some bananas. Like I used to yell that at kids. Um, that's not what it is. It's a neuromuscular connection. So, we tell our kids, this is exactly what I, when I, one of our kids has a cramp, I walk onto the field, I pull them up and I say, you need to practice faster. You are being lazy in practice because you're not going full speed in practice. And when you try to go full speed in the game and you're a little bit fatigued, your muscles and your nerves have a disconnect and it's an electrical problem. And no amount of, no amount of chugging water. And if, if dehydration was the case, all the kids in Florida would get uh, cramps all the time because it's hot there all the time, right? And kids in Kansas would never cramp, but that's not how it works. It, we did not condition at all this year. We just full speed sprinted all the time and tried to focus on going full speed in practice. We had one cramp, or maybe two, and the kids that I went out and got them from that cramp, they were like, "Coach, I didn't uh, probably should run faster in practice." Like, yep. gotcha. So, yeah. See, so that's where you know. You just, have you seen the Twitter debate the last couple of days of the guys leaning over? Like, yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. In the leaned over stance, and like, it's just a total, like, shit show, people. Sorry, you might have to cut that one out. Pretty but fun. it's a, com- it's a complete, like, just everybody arguing back and forth about mental toughness and recovery. 
and it's that same philosophy. Like we only do that because of the bravado, like the bend over debate. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's kind of like that debate. I mean, I've, uh, I, I've been a big fan of uh, the stand up straight just because of oxygen, but I, I know I've been proven wrong. Like in the last year, there's been the studies like that it, it doesn't benefit you to do the hands over the head and take deep breaths anymore. Like the bent over, you can get just as much oxygen. So like my whole theory on it was like, I just want you to have oxygen. Stand up so you get oxygen, don't bend over. And now that's blown out of the water. So thank, thank yeah. goodness that uh, I'm only yelling at my kid about it instead of like uh, 30 kids to be better. <laughs> yeah, well, I was the mental toughness side of it. If we see a guy bent over like that, we attack him. And that is exact insane stuff that I used to do and I don't do anymore. It was dumb, so. So on the flip side of the Twitter thing, uh, I was talking to Joseph about this. I just saw that uh, the uh, the thing that's been going around is whose baseball stance did you, uh, did, did you, you know, mimic when you were a kid? And, and I'm not gonna lie to you, but me and Joseph, we had the same guy, and it wasn't Wade Boggs. Uh, mine was Wade Boggs. I know, I saw that. I saw that and as, a, as a New York guy. I have mixed feelings about Wade. Red Sox, but he also it brought us. He's a Red Sox, but he brought us the championship in 96. So, so much respect. The best hitter that I saw in, in, in my days. But I who's our guy, Joseph? Donnie Baseball, baby. Don Mattingly. Evansville, Indiana product. Sweetest swing in baseball till King Griffey Jr. showed up. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm all right. I probably next guy is George Brett. I think I put Mickey Tettleton on there because I was yeah. always a Mickey with the open hand. Like I wanted that to be my thing. Like he always he always had one hand open, and so when he swings, then he grip and he's he could have more power. But I guess if he had more power, he would have hit more home runs and been a better player than he was. So. Didn't he have a uh, 30 home run year like everybody did in the 90s? Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Listen, you, you ain't trying. It's just recovery. That's, it's just muscle recovery. That's, I think that's the part that's going to get cut. Like, that's, <laughs> everything else is good. Strength and speed, all that. Yeah. Vitamin S, out. So Jen, let's... I didn't, uh, I didn't say it. You know. Again. I'm guilty. Guilty as charged, man. Reset. I got, I got the wife who used to be in rules, so I, I, I know all the bad stuff. So, uh, Coach, listen, let's let's dive in here and let's uh, let's let you share uh, your twenty plus years of, of experience. And, and and so, what's the one thing that that you agreed to join us here uh, to talk to young coaches, experienced coaches, coaches all over the country? What's the one thing that? that, that you would love to share with us about uh, what you do. I think that the best thing I don't I don't I don't proclaim to do a lot of things really well. I, I try. I I've become more of an essentialist over the last couple of years, like learning that I need to focus on one thing and try to do a few things right. And, and I think the one thing that I do fairly well is is have a message, have a brand, have a message. And I think that if you can establish having a brand and a message and you hit the right message at the right time with the right people, you can really establish something. Um, sometimes the wrong message at the right time is not good. You know, if the timing of the message, the verbiage, you know, what, what you're trying to get across to your kids um, or your athletes, if you 
can find the right buttons to push. And that's maybe what I, I'm maybe probably even more simplified is I think I'm an excellent button pusher. Like I know which buttons to push when, as soon as I learn, but it takes time. I have to learn everybody. There's a lot of background that goes into it. So you have to take a lot of background um, into that. But if you can come up with the right message, um, it's just like being captain of the ship. You know, you, if you steer everybody in the right direction and you got everybody rowing the boat in the right direction, um, and you've got something that everybody can buy into and believe, then, you know, that's, that's what it takes. You know, it's just like, if Jesus had a, had a bad message, we won't know his name, right? He had a pretty good message. He had it at the right time, delivered very well, hey? And it's the same thing with all of us. If we have the right message at the right time um, for the right people, then what we do has an impact. So do you find when you uh, are looking for that message for the season, it takes a lot of study of your kids? Like you can't just come up with a message and then force feed it to them. Like even if you open your season with a message that you want to project, like you have to figure out how to deliver it to each individual kid while delivering it to the team as a whole, I'm guessing, right? Like, because they're not cookie cutter kids um, anywhere. So when you're delivering that message, you got to figure Andy's going to take it a little bit different than me. So you got to be able to massage it a little bit when you get maybe pushback from a kid and not in a negative way, but just a kid being a kid, right? Like asking like why yeah. or how or where each kid's going to take that message a little different. How do you, how do you uh, massage that for the kids? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, they're all going to – let me maybe speak in examples. Like, I have three prominent examples I'm thinking of right now. And I've gotten better at this. Like, I have tried to force feed the message to people. I think we all have. Work. We're all guilty yeah. of that. And so we uh, we try to do it where, you know, I've, I've come up with a theme before the season, and I think it's great. It's fantastic. This is exactly what these kids need to hear. And by the end of the season, we have a completely different theme. All our t-shirts are out of date, right? Because I'm going to put it everywhere. And sometimes it hits. Some Every once in a while, this last year it hit. But I did a better job of doing it. Um, I think my biggest hit was I read a situation, right? One of my first, when I met, first met Joseph, I was coaching at Mission Valley, right? Um, at Mission Valley High School and outside of Topeka, Kansas. And I had hit that one just correctly. You know, I looked at the situation I took over at the time, which may have been the worst football program in the state of Kansas at one point, two or three years before. Um, the head football coach before me, excellent dude. In fact, the head coach before him was still on my staff, still friends with all of those guys. They had started the turnaround. You know, they had started it turning around. And then, um, you know, some things happened. Politics happened. The head coach decided to become an assistant for his friend at Topeka High. And so I came in. And I read the situation right. And I read the people right. And I got lucky. And I came in with the – my main driving force was expect excellence. Because I, I wanted the kids' expectations to be higher than – they went 8-2 and two the year before after – I think there was a 37-game losing streak before that, and then they won two, and they won two, and then they won eight, and then they lost all their good players, right? And so I was coming in for the dip again, right? But I wanted our kids to expect more and continue to expect excellence, so I just hammered that home. From the very first meeting, I walked in, and I still use that phrase today. Like, that's my thing, expect excellence. If I ever finish my book, that will be part of it. 
Hey, but I walk into everything and I, and I have a little bit more for here now. I've expanded on it, but that was the right message at the right time. Those people wanted success and they needed to hear that our expectations is not just to continue what we did last year, but to continue what we're doing forward. And I expressed it throughout the entire program. We expect excellence in everything we do. One of the things I always say is um, the way you do anything is the way you do everything. And so if we, if we expect excellence in the classroom, then we expect excellence on the field. We expect excellence everywhere else. And so we're, um, you know, that's just that hit the right people at the right time and the kids could buy into it. And probably most important of all, kids are the biggest BS meters of all time. I believed it. Like I completely bought into it myself and so I could sell it. Yeah, kids will, kids know if you're bullshitting them, man. They do. Yeah. They know 100%. They'll, they'll, uh, They're better than, than all of us. Yeah, they they really do. Um, if you if you don't believe what you're what you're telling a kid, they're not gonna believe what you're telling them. Yeah, a hundred percent on that. I just said a hundred percent. I just talked to my wife about me saying that too much, so I'm really conscious. <laughs> so here's my bad example. So later on in my career, I I get my dream job. I'll never go home, right? Um, because I'm from a little town that has an eight-man football team, and I'm not going to coach eight-man football because it kind of gets you cubby hole. It's great. I love it. I love playing, but it's kind of one of those, if you don't have one dude, you're screwed thing because you only got about nine dudes anyways. And so the closest I'm ever going to get to going home is my wife's hometown outside of Manhattan, Kansas. It's called Wamego. And they're the Red Raiders. And I thought and thought, what should I have? What should I do? What should I have? And I thought Nebraska's theme a couple years ago was Red Rising. And I was like, that is sweet. That is a great alliteration. Perfect. I'm big on alliterations. That's perfect. Expect excellence is an alliteration too. So I was like, this is perfect. People will love it. They did not love it because they didn't feel like they need to rise because they felt like they were already there. We just need to continue what we're doing. And they loved the old coach. And so he had retired and I was the new bad stepdad and it completely fell on its face like it was not good we went to something else later on i'm a big alamo buff so we have a big come and take it flag somewhere around here and they did buy into that like i did turn around the ship after starting owen five and my dream job my going back home we turned it around and we ended up two games away from the state title with a losing record like we lost to the state champs in the semifinals but I had to pivot, and and when you have a bat, when you have a, when you have a swing and a miss, you got to be able to pivot. Yeah. And it's last year I did so much better. I'm at a school that's a little lower expectations. Um, the Wamiga thing did not work out, by the way. Just, uh, it was bad. So if we want to talk about that and things that you should you do wrong or you know that hey. other people do wrong, then you can talk about that sometime. But not all shoes so, fit, man. Not all shoes fit. Yeah, yeah. I was not a fit. My foot was way too fat for them. I guess I don't know. So for that shoe, uh, I'm a 4E and they're like slim. So anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, I this last year I put a lot of thought into it and I stole it from somebody else. And that's usually the best ones. My theme list last year with the kids was tough people win. And I have Jay Billis's toughness article. And that's I've good, adapted yeah, all good. the things. I've adapted all the things he says for basketball to football. And every day we, I had something to say about tough people winning. And our kids bought into that. Like they at least listen. 
they knew it was going to be something different. It wasn't just me spouting the same message every day. It was 24 different. And you have about 40 football practices, and there's about 24 different ones. And then I have a couple on the fly, a couple ones I could throw in or situations that I could make up. So every practice, I had to talk about tough people winning. And uh, I thought it worked so well. It's really kind of become our thing. And it might be, you know, I might continue to reinforce it this next year and just keep the same thing. And usually that falls flat on his face if I don't have something new. But we'll see. That's uh, that the I, I like that you themed it through your season when it wasn't working you were able to pivot and when it is working you're you're almost willing to continue it on to the next season but I mean toughness is is really I I think it's an easy sell to kids especially in the probably the the type of community you're in right like those those kids are just are just tough kids right yeah like you're not you're not in a metropolitan area or the the super rich area where there's prima donnas or like, like that's kind of the area of the country you're in, like where people are pride on their toughness and their stick to And so I don't think you'll have a hard time selling it a second year in a row. I mean, that's what the kids are believed in. That's what they're raised to believe. Like we're tough. We're going to finish. We're going to do what's expected of us and we're going to make it work. It, and, and, and I think it, you know, some of the kids, those kids, the suburban area kids are the ones that need it the most, you know, oh. the, you know, they need that. And the thing we talk about, like, I will say this, even though I'm, my main theme is tough people win, like the toughness that we think about is overrated. The physical toughness. Sure, sure, uh, sure. What we talk a lot about is discipline as being part of your toughness. Hitting um, the line, not being over the line, holding your, your kids account, hold, holding your teammates accountable. Yeah, communication. You know, I'm a big, um, what is that called? Season of love, maybe? Coach Season of life, yeah, yeah. Joe yeah, I'm a big, like, false masculinity. Like, I'm not into that anymore. And I was the worst. See, one of reformed. I was, like, the worst offender. Like, I, the worst thing that ever happened in my coaching career is I watched the Junction Boys before my first <laughs> year. And I freaking tried to be Bear Bryant. Like, I was going to grind people. And I was going to make us the toughest piece of the leather that ever played football. And I did every stupid thing that you should not do. And now I'm like reformed. I'm like, you know, like I'm, I'm somebody who changed religions completely. Like no more <laughs> false masculinity, you know, like it's, no more. Yeah. It, like, uh, you, I mean, you, you've, I, I don't know if Joseph teed you up for this, but this is, this is where we're coming from. This is where I'm coming from. It's, it's, uh, it's, it all started for me as I got a head coaching job when I was maybe 30 years old. And uh, it was the, 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 the coach from the neighboring town, our, 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 our uh, rival. And he was like, have you read this book, Season of Life? And I was like, no, nah, I hadn't read it. And he's like, you gotta read it. And it was, it, was, it was all the stuff we're talking about. It was the false masculinity, it was this, it was that. And, and you said it, you said, I've gotten better at this, right? 20 years, 20 plus years, we've all gotten better at this. I love that you took the time to to share a bad example, like an example where you tried and you failed. You, you, you're humble enough to say that. And, and and the thing that's interesting to me is you, you talked about Jay Billis and you talked about tough people win. I'm guessing you're not talking about tough people winning just basketball or just football or just track meets or 
right? You're talking about tough people like win tough in people life. Tough people win in life, right? We, we, I mean, if you don't have mental toughness, how can you win in life? Like, there are so many things that will batter you around in this life, even for people relatively successful, you know, that I, I think relatively, I've considered myself relatively successful. I live in a comfortable home. I have a great family. I have a job. I'm still getting a paycheck. Like that feels like success to me. I'm not a millionaire, but you know what? I don't want for very we, much. We, we can't all be millionaires, Lee. I mean, I'll, no. I'll wear that brunt for every, wait a minute. I'm not a millionaire either. <laughs> but I mean, so that's one of those, those things that, you know, it, you're gonna have a lot of setbacks. And, you know, there's so many, it's almost becoming cliche, all the examples of people who had failures that are now success, Abraham Lincoln, like that's almost so used now, it's a cliche. But, you know, it's just one of those things, like you, you gotta be tough, you know? And, and, and to go back to what we were talking about, you know, after 20 years, finally changing my ways. I, I even talked about today with one of my friends on Twitter, a coach I know, you know, I was talking about, the, the bending over thing that we were talking about before. Like I used to be the person that yelled at my kids for bending over and all the stupid stuff that I did. And I just lamented that. Like I, and oh, I could treat, I, I really gotta be careful on social media. I have strong opinions and I've learned that I don't wanna share them because I have such a broad base of friends that it starts arguments between them within my social media, right? And so, but I shared that I felt like I was dumb and that I now do better. And my friend shared this great quote that I think fits this it's from Maya Angelou and I don't quote Maya Angelou very often all right but it's do the best you can until you know better then when you know better do better and that's so perfect that's perfect for this whole conversation I did the best that I knew I didn't know any different you know I was ignorant now if I don't do it then I'm arrogant okay so if I'm ignorant then I don't know any better and I have to remember that with a lot of people like some people not calling them dumb they're ignorant of the truth right they're ignorant of what the situation is and you know but when you know better and you still do the wrong thing then you're arrogant then you're then you're just you're you're a person that you know you're untrustworthy like you know better like that's that's poor character and that's that's it right we've we're here to talk about about the the power of of coaching and and the power of uh, building character in ourselves, right? Like, as it starts with us, and then, uh, and then if we're if we're, we're a better version of ourselves, then we can we can uh, instill that character in our in our players. So, so you were saying um, that that establishing your message, uh, giving giving your guys something to to or, or girls, right? giving them yeah. something to, to, to believe in is, 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 is the mission. So why is that important? Like you coach track or you coach softball or whatever. Why is it important? Like they're going to graduate, they're going to go off into the world and, and they'll be done with you, right? Sure. Or us or me or whatever. So why is it important? Well, okay. So I'm going to use the example and I use this example with my football players, maybe a little bit of a negative way, but I, it still works. We all have buttons, right? And I always talk to my football players about quit buttons, right? We all have a quit button somewhere inside of us. I always say it resides right here because it's a good football example because that's where I'm going to punch you right there. All right, so we always have that quit button, right? And so we know what pushes our own quit button and what we have to, we have to work, all the work we do up here, you know, in our mind and physically buries that quit button deeper, right? 
And then we want to go find everybody else's quit button when we're competing against them and make them want to quit, you know, which is a little bit of blood and guts, masculine kind of thing. But in the sport I coach, football has some elements of that. I'm not going to ignore that. I don't think football is a war. I think that's overused cliche. Um, but I also don't think that it's a chess. It's, it's not a checkers match either. There is some, you know, some physicality to it that we have to understand. So, you know, that's that's the thing is helping kids and finding the buttons they need to push and then helping them learn how to push that button or keep that button from being pushed later on in life. You know, we all have something that annoys us, the button, somebody pushes our buttons, you know. We've got to know how to handle it if somebody does. And so that's the key thing that you're trying to do with these messages. One, find those kids' buttons. Um, we're all motivated in different ways. So you got to find that motivation. And as a, that's the hardest thing about being a coach, I think, is I think a lot of us can figure out what motivates somebody individually, right? Um, and we can do, that's why assistant coaches are really good sometimes at what they do, right? Because they work in a very small group. Head coaches are a little bit of a special animal because they not only have to worry about what motivates a single individual, they have to motivate a group. You know, they have to they have to mobilize an entire group and motivate them using the same message. And so, you know, and there's always going to be at the great ones, you know, like I, I, I'm in Kansas, so I'm not a huge K-State fan, but Bill Snyder, I, you know, I've talked to him, I've listened to him talk, I've listened to Bill Snyder's speeches for a hundred times. And I've, I'm just sitting here realizing right now, as I'm talking to you, like not all of Bill Snyder's speech to a group is the whole thing meant for somebody just like me. There's a portion for me. He's got a portion for this other guy and a portion for this person and a portion for that person. But he's trying to push each one of those buttons individually and he meshes it into one coherent concept. You know, while, you know, sometimes Bill can be a little bit boring to listen to, he does hit everybody's butt, right? And the really great ones, not saying Bill, it's not the great ones, he's not, he's maybe not the most dynamic speaker, but the dynamic speaker people, you know, they can hit all those buttons and they can use their own energy to drive people forward. And so that's what, you know, I think as a leader you have to do is be able to get your message across and push everybody's buttons at the same time and then teach them to motivate themselves. You find that <clears throat> when you're trying to push those buttons with each of your individual kids that are learning how to push their teammates' buttons at the same time, like, because kids are smart, right? They know they know you're manipulating them. Like, there's, there's, especially the good players, right? They get it. They get the coaches to it. I mean, manipulating is, a, is, it sounds like a negative word, but they know you're manipulating them to get the best out of them that, in whatever field it is, right? Do you think your better players or the kids that really understand your message see you pushing those buttons with other kids and then go to push those same buttons when when, when they have to be the voice, when the captain has to be the voice or the leader of your offensive line has to be the voice or your, your number one wide receiver has to take your guys or your running backs, the leader of your running backs group. Do you think he, in those in instances, sees your, the buttons you've pushed and follows in your footsteps? Well, absolutely. I mean, I, that's that's your leaders. When you have good ones, they're really good at it. And the reason they're really good at it is because they know those kids better than you will ever know. Oh, gosh, yes. They know everything about them. You know, my coaching career really changed. At one point, I looked at one of my assistant coaches probably 10 years ago, and I'm like, you know, we're, 
we're not like these kids' older brothers anymore. For a portion of my coaching career, I was like older brother because I was 21. You know, when I first started as a head coach, a kid I coached is only three years younger than me, you know, three or four years younger than me, one of the kids I coached. So he's, I'm 42, he's probably 39, you know? So I was like an older brother to a lot of those kids. And then I reached a point where all of a sudden I go from older brother to weird uncle, right? Not I'm weird younger uncle. And then now I'm, I'm dad. I mean, I have a three-year-old and 11 month old, so I'm definitely dad right now. I'm not, I've ever reached grandpa status, you know, but someday I will reach grandpa status. Like that, that's what I'm looking forward to my coach. I'm just waiting it out till I'm grandpa status because everybody loves the grandpa coach. <laughs> the best. Yeah. The, the best. I can pull the tears out. Like you guys are disappointing me. And then, you know, I don't have to yell anymore. I can just, I can really cry, not fake cry, but I can really, or something like that. So I don't have to use so much energy. I'm waiting for that time. You know, but that's, you know, that's the thing is you, the, the secret sauce sometimes is when you have a really good team, you have guys on your team who know their teammates well enough to be able to push their right buttons. You know, because that's all it is, right? You think about those great leaders. Like, Tom Brady knows how to push his dude's buttons. He did. At, you know, I guarantee he can push Jalen Edelman's buttons. He can push Gronk's buttons. He knew which buttons to push. The bad leaders are disconnected. You know, like, they're, they're disconnected from everybody else. What's that? Jeff George is my bad leader example every time I, I think about a quarterback who's just an awful leader who has everything physical and it's just, just awful. Ryan Leaf. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I like, I, I, I want to have uh, uh, grace for Ryan Leaf because most of his problems were uh, substance. Right? Yeah. He was just like that, and that's a sickness, and I don't want to get into any of that. But like Jeff George, he's just an asshole, and he can't lead. Right? Like, talk to the guy. Not a good person. Like, it's just that. But anyway. I digress. Um, you're right. Um, and what you say about that is like, you know, they're, they're being the leader, but the, the fun thing is, is when you hear them leading with your team's message, right? You can kind of hear your, the things you've been saying to these kids all summer. Um, when it comes out in one of your players to somebody, you're like, Whoa, we're getting through, we're getting there. Right. We're, we're now, now we're humming a little bit. Right. Cause, cause now it's top down leadership. And what I'm saying to you, you're saying to them, and, and we've got a, a common thread theme. It's not I'm saying something and they're translating it into uh, teenage or whatever, right? Everybody's bought in. The same message is getting repeated by no matter who it is. And that, that, that's kind of the, the dream, I guess. For, for me, when I was coaching, when I was saying the same thing over and over and over again, when I heard my leader say those same things, and not because he, he knew I was standing there wanting him to say it but because it was the message that was coming through and it was making us a better team and making us better competitors making us better people like it was the whole the whole package they were kind of figuring it out if that makes sense i just spotted oh yeah absolutely can i share with you guys something i mean people listening to this won't be able to see this but i'll talk them through it i'm, I'm i said so one of the things I do in my, every basement I have, I have my office and, and so I have a really sweet office. So I have a conference table now. So I have all my coaches meetings at my home. So I can spend more time with the family. I have a whiteboard. I bought, when we bought the house, one of the selling points was I have a projection screen TV. 
and I put a whiteboard under it yesterday. And so now I can whiteboard, projection screen, TV down. But the rather part of my office is I just have like relics of all my seasons. And the thing I'm, it's, it's never too far away from my desk and I haven't opened it up in years, but just what we're talking about, I have a scrapbook of my best season ever. You know, my, my wife and I were dating. Um, she's big, she's real uber talented with, you know, making cards by hand and, and scrapbook stuff. And she made me a surprise. We, we have a scrapbook from your wife for uh, our daughter. Oh, that's right. Still going? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. We, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable, yeah. Um, so I'm gonna pull this out. It's probably by my other, my other favorite relic here is my, my son for my birthday. My wife and him did a thing that says, I love Coach Dad. He thought my name forever was Coach Dad. Is that my first like name it. was Coach? Uh, so uh, you, everybody can't see this, but uh, it's a bound book. And it goes throughout the entire season, pictures from the entire season. But the last page, oh, and she had all the players, um, you know, write some notes in here, which I, okay, I need to go back and read. But the last page, and nobody can see this, but the last page is a picture. And it was a picture I took on my phone. And it was after our last game. Um, we went eight and two, so we were eight and one in the regular season, and we lost our first round playoff game. But it was probably the best football team I've ever coached. We just ran into a team that was the, it was their time, right? And we drive all the way back three hours from this game, and we unload the bus, and the kids have gone. And you know, you know, coaches, you know, we're unloading all the crap, and they go into the locker room, take their stuff in, and go, and then we're still dragging the headsets and all that stuff in. And we get in there, we had a whiteboard that we drew our game plans up and stuff and messages to the kids like, hey, practice outside. And that, that uh, whiteboard is covered with writing. And it was clean when we left. And it's my seniors, my leaders. They'd wrote on that whiteboard, let's walk out. It's, it's, just, it's emotional to me because they finally got it, right? Um, and it's gonna be, we miss you all. There's just some things. you. I'm losing my best friends. It was a great year. They had like, I love you all, Dynasty, BTA, Everlast. You know, they had little things that they set the pace, all kinds of little statements that they had said all year. And they led all year. And I told my wife, I, was, I took a picture. I go, these guys finally get it. They finally get what it's about. Like they cared about each other. And, you know, they, I mean, they, I'm looking at a picture of them standing here and, Two of them are on crutches at the end. Like, that's one of the reasons why we didn't. But, you know, they, they couldn't finish like they wanted to because, ha you know, a couple of them got season injury injuries in the last game. Um, and But it was just – it's one of those things where when they finally get it, it's almost – I mean, I got some – I got some tears in my – I'm a little misty. I'm not cutting onions over here. You know, but it's, it's one of those things where they finally got it, and that was a great example. Like, I, I, I've never had that happen before. Like, they just – they didn't have to do that. They could have been pissed off and walked out, but they realized it was the end of something good. And instead of just taking that, you know, selfishly and that, okay, I'm going to take that experience with me. No, you guys all need to carry that experience onward. Like we started this continue on, you know, and even since I've left, like Mission Valley has had a really good football program because those kids finally expected excellence and took ownership. And now it doesn't matter who the coach is. Like one of my assistants now has finally came back and he's the head coach now, but it was two, two or three different guys from me that were completely out of the mission Valley tree. Um, they continued success. And it, it, you know, it's one of those things. It's 
as much as we would love to get credit for what we do it's more for the kids than it is us ever like i am less important every year that i coach <laughs> oh man yeah that's uh that's the hard truth isn't it like we we truly it's not the x's and the o's right it's the uh, billies and the joes yeah, we get more we get more credit than we deserve and more blame than we deserve most times i think i always deserve the blame i got I would typically agree with you, but there's a, events in my past <laughs> from the job that I didn't learn that, that would lead me to say that I didn't deserve all that blame. Oh, no, no. I'm speaking specifically for me. <laughs> like, like I've, uh, I've lit my own bridges on fire. I get that. But, um, yeah, no, that's poignant, man. Like, you, when the kids get it, like, it is emotional, and there's nothing wrong with it. That's kind of the beauty of it, right? Like, you pour your heart into this you pour your heart into those kids even the ones who don't want it you pour it into them and you pour it into them and when they get it man it it just makes you feel like you're not coaching football or track or softball it, it makes you feel like you're coaching a human being into a better life and like that that's what makes it worth it right like i got you know we all got rings we all got wins we all we all have done something uh successful in coaching but like when I think back about all the stuff I've done, like I think about the kids and, and like what they're doing now. And like one of my kids just had a baby and like all I think about is the, the cute little pictures he texts me of his kid. And he's like, I'm so excited. And like, like why is he texting me? Not, you know what I mean? Like, like I'm not his family. I'm not his like, but I've made a big enough impact on this kid's life that he wants to share that beauty with me. And it just, it makes me feel good about all the, all the time I dedicated to football, right? Because it all ended up being way more than that. Oh yeah. And you know, one thing I was thinking of as we're talking here is like, I'm a person, I'm so glad that now we can coach in a world where like, I'm not considered soft anymore because I don't give up on kids. Oh you know, yeah. I, yeah. 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 I still have, you know, some dudes that I coach with or, or know in coaching that, you know, they don't want that kid on their team. This kid's soft. You know, I'm thinking of, and this kid will never listen to this podcast. It's not a worry. I won't use his name. But I have a kid that my, I, I know my assistant coaches don't get along with. They don't really like him. But I, for whatever reason, like, I, I guess I, I come to the kid's defense. Like, he's a kid. He's 16 years old, you know? His brother was probably a jerk, which which clouds some of the judgment of the kids. Like he was a jerk to my assistants or, you know, the, the people he worked with. And so that clouds a little bit, but I just can't give up on kids. Like I just can't because they, they deserve more than that. And they deserve us to be able to help them out. Um, you know, and I, I feel like if I give up, I'm giving up on myself if I give up on the kids, but you know, what does it say to somebody when you're just like, I don't want you around, I'm going to give up on you. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I have one, like I've given him like eight chances and I've kicked him out of my weights class, said, told the counselor not to put him in there anymore. You know, like he texted me just two weeks ago that I'm not going out for football. I didn't text him back. <laughs> I just let it hang. Like I, like I, I, I'm close to giving up on him, but you know what? I'm going to give him probably another chance. And I, like I tell my assistants all the time, like they, they're like, you know, well, you can't make exception for this kid. You can't, is different for everybody and I said I'm gonna guarantee you we're gonna need that kid some point 
like in an investment in him will pay off. Uh, and it's proven true so many times in my career. But earlier in my career, you know, people would think that you're soft for giving a kid another chance, for having him come around, you know. Oh, he's soft or, you know, you can't, you know, I'm not going to deal with that kid. Like we had a kid that was ineligible a little bit in wrestling season. And we have a very good wrestling coach. He just kicked the kid off. Didn't want to mess with him. And that, see, that's, I, I guess I'm not in for, co- I'm not in coaching for that. Like, I don't want to mess with this kid. And, and, and that's, right, that's the thing we're talking about here, right? You're, you're going to win a ton of games and, and, and you're going to lose some games. But what you just got, got done saying there is, is, is everything we want to be about, right? We're going to change the arc of that young person's life, right? That kid, if you give him eight tries or nine tries or 10 tries, at some point you're going to do something that's going to help him 10 years down the road, five years down the road, 20 years down the road, right? And that's that's it, right? That's what you just said. I'm, I'm and not you might it. be the only guy giving him that chance, right? Like everybody else might be washing him, washing their hands of him and like. Yes, definitely. Well, that happens all the time, right? And what are we really in it for if not for the kids? Like when you say, I don't want to mess with this kid, well, then you're just telling me all you care about is winning. And if all you care about winning, you know, to use the Joe Herman term, you are transactional. And you are transactional, which may eventually get you into some Hall of Fame. But I don't know if it's going to get you through the pearly gates, man. You know? <laughs> right? Like, you might walk through the doors. You might walk through the doors of the High School Hall of Fame. But I don't know if I don't know if I can live. I cannot go through life, I guess. And I'm reading think like a freak and they say don't use your moral compass but I do um you know my moral compass says I've I've got to give these kids chances I've got to help these kids as I can and I've always been the best at it so I'm not perfect I don't always give them the chances I probably should but that's the true thing that I'm doing like if I'm just in it to win games then you know like that's just like being in it for the money you know like I, I if that's what if I'm in it for the money and the fame and the fortune, I guess I, I should be better at it. <laughs> I I, I've told Joseph this a thousand times, but uh, I have a friend out in Washington State, and his his quote is, you know, people watch you coach, and, and, and you're coaching character, you're developing young people, whatever, and they see you hooting and hollering, and they're like, you're a hypocrite, right? But uh, the only defense he has is, yes, you're right, I'm a hypocrite, but I'm trying to be less of one today than I was yesterday. Uh, perfect. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. Have you guys ever read, speaking of that, have you ever, speaking of Washington, have you ever read the Politics of Coaching book? Hmm. My, athletic, my athletic director gave it to me in about 2012. I love the guy. And it was my doorstop for like two years. So Did you read it? I didn't. I'm the worst. It is the most transformational coaching book I've read. Wow. All right. It, I'll get it out. You got to get it out because here's what it tells you. You know, I, I, I wasn't very good, I guess. I've always been like the light side person, like the, you know, the ultra positive. And Joseph's coach with me. I'm an ultra positive person, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm uber positive. I'm like sickeningly positive sometimes. And I wasn't good in, until, like, I had another uh, a guy, an athletic director um, at another school who I knew. And I didn't have a great opinion of at the time because I, he played at a school that I played at. And he didn't have a good rep at the other school, just kind of being a jerk, right? 
but then we talked and he hired me and we got along and we had some similar thoughts, but he's a dark side guy. He's a little bit of a dark side guy. And so he was, he and I were great balance. Like I was ultra positive. He would be like, maybe you need to think about this negative thing or this guy's being a jerk to you. And so it gave me balance. The politics of coaching book is understanding that balance, like understanding the politics. This is one thing I think, this is my biggest lesson that I always tell everybody from the politics of coaching. And I bought it for one of my assistants. I have an intern. I try to have an intern in the weight room every year because I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be lazy, but I want to coach better. But it is a little being lazy. Like I don't have to coach as hard if I have an intern helping me out and they usually bring a lot more energy to me. Um, so it's kind of my own little, you know, shot of adrenaline to have a, to have an intern that's full of energy, young coach that's helping me out. But it's my gift to my interns all the time because I, you know the best message that's in that book is, you know, you don't have to like the politics, but you need to understand them. When somebody's coming after you that you think's crazy, you need to identify them as crazy and tell everyone else around you this person's crazy, so that when they come back and do crazy shit, everybody goes, that person's crazy. You know, so when you have the crazy dad that is just yelling at you from the stands, but you kind of knew this guy's a little crazy, you tell your assistant, I think this guy's kind of crazy. Tell your AD, I think this guy's kind of crazy. This guy's kind of crazy. He acts a little insane. And then when he does something insane, everybody goes, oh, he's crazy, right? And you win that political battle, which you don't have to like it, but you got to understand it. Maybe you don't call him crazy, but you understand if he's calling you a jerk to everybody else around him, and then you do something jerkish, then you are the jerk, right? Because he's already identified you. If you, okay, you're a dumb coach that doesn't know how to run the ball. Hey, okay? which is exactly the example that got me out of where I was. I didn't get fired, I quit, because I was not gonna take their stuff anymore. But I was the dumb coach who went for the throat instead of running the ball and running the clock out, and we had a two hour tornado delay and the game became close again in the last three minutes of the game. But there was a dad who'd already identified that I was too dumb to run the football. Like I, and then in an Arby's during a tornado warning, he convinced everybody in his parent group that I was a dumb football coach. And then over the next couple of weeks, anytime that I would make a dumb decision, he was, you know, solidified by already identifying me as a dumb football coach. And he convinced everybody else. And then the tide turned on me, the politics turned on me. And then it got bad. And so it's that book spells it completely out the best way. Like you will read it and regret having it as a doorstop for years. You'll be like, this is exactly what I needed. Like I have it on my Kindle. Like I would share it with you right now. Like <laughs> it is, it is, it is number one probably in books that, that, I that, that might be the reason why I'm no longer a head high school football coach and I've relegated myself to a, a, an assistant coaching role. But but this, what you're saying is 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 the is what you 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 really kind of wanted to share with us, which was establishing your message, right? So if you establish your message, you're out in front of that uh, uh -huh. argumentative uh, parent, right? Um, if you're, if you're establishing your message, you're inspiring, right? Because what I was getting throughout all of this was we're going to try and inspire our kids, right? And some, some kids are inspired by rah, rah, 
you know, that kind of rhetoric. Some kids are inspired by a, a, a more thoughtful, grandfatherly Bill Snyder, right? Some kids are more inspired by, by an, a scrapbook that kind of gets that emotion coming out of them. And, and so what, what you're saying, I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, right? So you're establishing your message. You're, you're inspiring your players through different messaging, right? It's not, it, it, it's, it's, it's the same overarching message, but it's planted each way with each kid. You have to have strategies. You have to have a playbook of strategies for, for each of those kids, right? Or, or for, for groups of those kids. Thanks for huddling up with us this week on the Coaches Platform Podcast. Remember, you can find us at Coaches Platform on Twitter and Instagram. Contact us at thecoachesplatform at gmail.com. And please remember to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you happen to find your podcasts.